Hello, and welcome to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, certified diversity executive, writer, and multicultural marketing consultant. On this podcast, we share diverse perspectives from leaders in their industries, explore diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts, and challenge our own assumptions and perspectives to take diversity beyond the checkbox. Before we introduce today's guest, for more insights and resources related to diversity and inclusion, visit thediversitymovement.com. Please join me in welcoming Jake Rostovsky to our show. Jake is a licensed psychotherapist based in Los Angeles and a globally known advocate, thought leader, and facilitator working to bring awareness, inclusion, and empowerment to the transgender and non-binary community. He has worked with some of the world's top entertainment, media, and educational brands, including NBC Universal, Lionsgate, Warner Brothers, BuzzFeed, UCLA, and Kaiser Permanente. Jake, welcome to Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. So good to have you. I am really happy to be here. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, Jake, you're an advocate for the transgender and non-binary community. Let's start with some definitions for those who are earlier in their diversity journey so that they can know what that means. Absolutely. And I love to use a little metaphor. So first I'll go into a literal definition and then tie it off with the metaphor. So gender gender identity is how you identify in your gender, right? So you can identify as male, female, non-binary, right? So non-binary is actually part of a gender identity. Mm -hmm. And then not to be confused with sexual orientation, which is who in your gender identity are you attracted to in their gender identity, right? So male to male, female to female, male, female, female, whatever, right? Um, Gender expression is how you express yourself through your gender. So, you know, what I'm wearing, what I decide to wear. And then non-binary, which is a relatively newer term to the non-queer community, is someone who lives in between genders, right? So I don't identify as male and I don't identify as female. The easiest way to remember this, I call it the bed metaphor, right? So gender expression is what do you go to bed wearing, right? So what do you go to bed wearing? Do you wear a nightie? Do you wear nothing? Do you wear boxers? Gender identity is who do you go to bed as? Do I go to bed as male, female, non-binary, the 400 other definitions that there are for gender? And then sexual orientation is who do you go to bed with? Or who do you not go to bed with, right? Because asexuality is also valid. So that's the easiest way for me to remember that. As a DEI leader, I found that people often don't have access or experience with people from the trans community. And so they avoid conversations as to not offend. But in doing that, it makes people feel excluded and unwelcome. Let's talk about some trans basics. What are some things that we need to know? It's really interesting because a lot of employers that I work with say, oh, well, we've never had a trans employee. I don't know how to have these conversations. To which I respond, well, you've never had a trans employee that you know of, right? It's quite possible they've not come out yet, or they're, you know, living stealth, right, which means that they just don't tell anyone. So already, it's a bit too late for these conversations that employers are not having. But some basics that are really important to know are just to be open, honest, and always take the lead of your employee, right? Mm -hmm. So if an employee comes out, instead of being like, well, I took this training, which is 
good, please take trainings, but say, okay, this is what I've learned in this training. How is this applicable to you? And how can I help you? Because I could sit here and list, you know, the top five things to know when working with a trans employee mm -hmm. and your employee will come out and it's absolutely not applicable to that employee. In a nutshell, the great answer to that is take as many workshops with varying different facilitators because we each have our own perspective. Mm -hmm. And then when you're ready to have those difficult conversations, follow your employee's lead. Love that. So Jake, you've been speaking as a transgender advocate since you were 14. That's incredibly brave. Can you tell us about your journey and how you became a voice for this community at such a young age? Yeah, so I came out actually at 12. And when I came out, let's see, that was, ooh, I'm going to give away my age, very early 2000s. And at the time, there was absolutely nothing around trans individuals under 18, let alone trans individuals in general, right? So I had no information on what to do. And so I literally like created a PowerPoint presentation, went to my mom and was like, this is who I am. This is what I need. And she was like, great, thank you for explaining. And then it made me start thinking if I couldn't find stuff, and I, I, this sounds not so modest, but I'm, I'm usually pretty good at finding and researching and, and looking things up from a young age. If I couldn't find things and I had privileged access to the internet and resources. Imagine all of these other people who didn't have resources to anything. So I kind of just decided that for whatever reason, I was very fortunate to have privilege and access. I was going to be able to give that to other people. And I, and I realized it was very dangerous at the time to be out. And I realized that I could have been putting myself in situations that might not have been good for me, but I, I decided I needed to do it because if not me, then who? Wow. Jake, tell us a little bit more about that journey and some of the amazing people that you've had the opportunity to talk to as you became this advocate for the transgender community. Absolutely. My journey, I've met so many incredible people. As you mentioned, you know, Oprah, I've had the pleasure of meeting and, and hanging out with her like three times, I think. I think I actually had more fun hanging out with her Cocker Spaniel, though, because I'm a big dog yeah. lover. But besides all the big flashy names, because I could list names forever, I've mm -hmm. actually gotten to meet some amazing grassroots organizers and some incredible mentors. I remember when I was 13, 14, I was in a group therapy. I, I think I stayed from about 13 to 16, 17 with these trans women, mostly of color, mostly HIV positive, who had nothing in their lives except for these weekly hour groups mm -hmm. and just sitting in their room and watching them and watching their resilience and watching how they just survived and thrived actually rather than survive that. That was my incredible sort of journey to witness. And that was my privilege. And unfortunately, many of them have since passed because of lack of resources, but I, I carry them with me wherever I go. That is so fantastic. You know, it's, it's amazing to think about how many people that we meet along, you know, our life journey that impact us in, in such a real way. Can you share a memorable story um, of someone that you inspired? by being an advocate for the trans community. 
I love this question. I think I was about 1920. I was doing a conference, the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference. Awesome conference. Please check mm-hmm. it out when it's back in person. I had done Oprah just for some background around 15, 16 years old. And at the time, a lot of people were like, why would you do that? That, you know, you're putting yourself at risk, right? So keep that in the back of your mind. It's important for the story. So 19, 20 years old, giving a presentation. There was this tiny little kid sitting in the back. I want to say 10, 11, kept like looking shy. And afterwards waited till every single person left the presentation. And he came up to me and he was like, hi, Jake. You know, my name is so-and-so, and I wanted to let you know that my mom was watching a rerun of your episode on Oprah a couple of months ago, and I was actually so depressed. I didn't know how I was going to tell her. I was suicidal. I, I was planning on actually killing myself the next week. Your episode aired. My mom saw it, and I had the courage to tell her after the episode because I saw her reaction was positive, and I just wanted to thank you for saving my life. And I was like, Oh, my God, like, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I was like, a young I was like, this, what I was so overcome with emotion. And it ties back to all the risks that I I took Mm -hmm. as a youth were were worth it. And if that was the only kid that I helped, well, I've stayed in touch with him. And he's gone on to do some incredible things inspiring other people. I'd like to think that like, you know, that was worth it. Thank you for sharing that, Jake. That is, that's such an amazing story. Let's talk about Queer Works, your nonprofit. What are you doing through that organization? Tell us about it. Yeah, Queer Works. It's my baby. It was my dissertation in grad school and turned into a real life nonprofit. Our mission is to provide affordable, accessible, and affirmative mental health services to the LGBTQ plus community. What that looks like, it's very broad on purpose. What that looks like right now is developing a training program for other therapists so that they can go out and do affirmative work with a huge concentration on trans non-binary clients. There aren't a lot of trans identified therapists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why not make the cis identified? So cis is non-trans identified individuals as affirmative as possible. I also go and do training and development for employee resource groups, HR companies, huge organizations, because how that ties into mental health is if your workplace is somewhere that supports you, you're going to be a lot healthier, happier, and thrive. So QueerWorks just started. It's our baby. We're still building stuff out. Please check us out. We always are looking for volunteers. Fantastic. And then Jake, tell us what affirmative therapy is. Affirmative therapy is such a complex word. So I'll give you the uh, easy sort of non-psychobabble version. Affirmative therapy, so going to therapy and feeling that your identity is not something that you have to explain to somebody. Your identity is not something that a therapist thinks is the cause root of all of your symptomology, right? So you're not anxious because you're trans, you're trans and anxious, which is a huge difference or you're anxious and you also happen to be trans. So affirmative is your identity is affirmed throughout your therapeutic process, as opposed to being competent or supportive or knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really cut it when your client is trying to implicitly trust you as a therapist. Absolutely. 
that's an important distinction, you know, and it's, it's important as we think about, you know, who we need to be seeing for therapy, which I love that it's becoming more commonplace and people are talking about it more. And, and I love that. So Jake, let's talk a little bit about therapy, especially for people um, in the trans community. What do they need to be asking when they seek out a therapist? That is an excellent question. And first of all, I feel like it's important for clients to know that you are the one who is in power in the situation. You know, a therapist cannot have a business without a client. So asking questions are totally valid. And if you don't like the answer, you don't have to see the therapist, right? It's not like you're not contractually obligated from a phone call. So questions that you should ask are, you know, what does trans and non-binary mean to you and listening to how the therapist answers. So, you know, red flags would be like, well, it's a, you know, and then people choose to transition. You're like, Mm-mm, you know, red flag choose, right? It's like, no, you no, choose to transition. We have to transition, right? So there's differences there. Uh, also asking their experience with the community. So, you know, I've never really worked with a trans client before, but I've, I've always wanted to. Right. Mm-hmm. That that's an issue because now you're sort of a checkbox, a goal for the therapist to say. Mm-hmm. You can also ask about personal experience. Do you know anyone? Is there anyone in your life? What does the community mean to you? And whether or not a, a therapist discloses is their their decision. But if you want a therapist who discloses more, you know, that's a way to look at it. Yeah. So asking questions around community is important and listening to how they talk about the community. We don't always respect your preferred pronouns and names. Well, it's not preferred. It's your name, right? So wording is very, very telling. That is so important. You know, we at the diversity movement did a course on inclusive language and just listening to how you're speaking about what you should be listening for and choosing a therapist. You know, for the, the rest of us, the people who are just in the workplace, the people that are in you know, these communities, our communities, all of our communities, we need to think about the language that we're using to make sure that when we talk to people, they feel affirmed and they feel welcome and they feel valued and appreciated. And it's so important to use inclusive language and and how you're talking to people in general. Um, So I love that you talked about using the word choose. I love that you talked about using preferred pronouns, which are you know, mistakes people make, but you know, you want to make sure that you're not using non-inclusive language and making sure that when you're having conversations with people, you're not offending them and you, you understand a little bit at least about their life. Love that. Jake, tell us more about you. You know, we had this discussion previously, but very often people are identified by a single dimension of diversity or one descriptor, right? So a black woman or a trans man or a person who's hard of hearing, something like that. But there's so much more to each of us than just that one descriptor, right? So I'd love to hear more about you. Tell us about Jake. Yeah, this is always such a hard question because, you know, it may not seem like that, but I rarely sit and talk about myself. So you know, I, I also identify as a gay man. I think I actually hang out more in the queer gay culture. I'm engaged to a wonderful cisgender male. And we are really just 
kind of whack. I call myself like wackadoodle. I'm just sort of out there doing strange things all the time. One minute you can catch me building a Lego city. Like that's my current project is like I've, I've made a Lego me and I'm like, I'm going to make a Lego city. If I can't go out, my Lego person can go out. But then in the next minute, you know, I'm sitting on the couch watching forensic files and trying to be what we call a civilian investigator, right? I'm like always trying to figure out like, who is the Zodiac killer? So I'm just sort of this eclectic weirdo and I love it. And most, yes, most of my time is spent immersed in queer culture. I think just because of the fact that LGBTQ individuals are so big on chosen family that most of our family reflects us. It happens to be that most of my friends are gay men, but you know, we still do things that are not stereotypically, you know, gay identified. It's just nice to be in that culture so that you don't feel alone. But yeah, my partner jokes like he's like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, I'm just on LinkedIn messaging people because it gives me life or like I'm creating a new, you know, conference or whatever. Just like I, it, I'm one of those people that just needs to constantly be working in a healthy way. I could set right. boundaries. Yeah. That is fantastic. No, I understand too. And you mentioned it around the conversation with Oprah. You love dogs. I do. Love that. Now, another point in a conversation that we had earlier is that, you know, we all have our ways of arguing, right? But I understand that you do it with PowerPoints. <laughs> I do. I argue with PowerPoints. I think it's really important because that way I can show data, right? You know, data doesn't lie. My partner is always laughing at me. Uh, he's a therapist in training too. So our arguments are actually more around like, I don't want to shame you, but, or like, it, this is what's been coming up for me. You know, so we don't do the PowerPoint arguments, but we actually just last week decided Thursdays are going to be thought Thursdays and we're going to do PowerPoints on random subjects just so that we, we can learn something new because we're so bored this pandemic. We don't, we just want to go and get a $12, you know, overpriced cocktail at a bar and hang out with people. But instead we're making PowerPoints around like gray whales or the invention of the washing machine. Oh my goodness. I love that. Jake, with your experience in the entertainment industry, how do you feel about the way trans people are portrayed in the media? Yeah, that that's a tough subject for me because I actually avoid heavily anything that has to do with trans individuals as the star or the, the main narrative because I'm so activated by how poorly they're represented. And I know there's been a lot of movement on that. You know, I still haven't seen Disclosure, which is supposed to be like really, really good. I still haven't seen, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the new one on HBO following uh, young trans girl. Like, I can't watch those things because there's just something in me that gets activated. So I guess short version of that is I, I think there's still a really long way to go. I think that the world, the trans community is getting tired of these narrative tropes of following me through my transition. Mm -hmm. I would love to just see a main character in a television show who also happens to be trans and once in a while something comes up, but you know, they're 
busy dealing with and i'm thinking like a lucille ball you know what if lucy was trans like yeah she's dealing with trying to eat all these chocolates and then also having heart-to-heart moments with uh ricky about how you know she was misgendered right so that that's what i would love to see as opposed to like the two main things which are like let's look at someone's personal life and sort of like put that on display or you know stories of hardship and then maybe triumph at the end Mm-hmm. Yeah, such an important point. And just going back to, you know, there's so much more to each of us than just that that one storyline, right? That we're all doing so much and thinking about so much and feeling so much. And we are, you know, well-rounded individuals, all of us. And, you know, when you're focused on only one aspect of a person, you miss so much. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, I- well, and I feel just to add to is my dream would be to see trans actors, actresses in cisgender roles, right? Mm-hmm. So to see, you know, like if, like I said, like a, a trans person playing Lucy in a remake, right? Like that would be awesome, mm-hmm. which is also, I think, and I have a very different opinion. I think it's okay for cis people to play you know, trans roles, or it's okay for straight people to play gay roles, because that's acting. Because trans and queer people should play cis and straight roles, right? Like it should be opportunities for everyone. Because what I worry is that only trans actors will be cast in only trans roles, which then, you know, goes through that whole trope of like, well, I don't necessarily need my story as representation i just need me as an actor absolutely that makes sense can we talk a little about trans employees in the workplace what is your experience firstly and then what do we need to know to successfully lead inclusive cultures yeah trans employees in the workplace kind of goes back to what i said about when someone comes out or you think you want to do something around a trans employee is to like stop ask questions and sort of go from there. Also though, caveat is I always think it's really important to be proactive rather than reactive. So you are that company that's like, we've never had anyone come out or we've never had anyone have to do anything. That's fine. You could still go take a training and still be prepared for when that time happens. Mm -hmm. A lot of data estimates, this is a compiled number from a bunch of different research. 39% of the future workforce generation is going to be trans or non-binary identified. So that's a huge number. Uh, and when we get back to the roots of a business, it's to make money, right? Mm-hmm. Every CEO, every company wants to make money. And doing that is simply, you know, calling me up and being like, hey, we want to do a, a hour-long town hall or having an employee that you trust lead and say, this is my experience within the company or downloading a toolkit. There's tons of free trans toolkits out there. People are giving this information away for free because they want you to learn about them. So just making that decision that like, this is the work that I'm going to do today. And these are the employees that I'm going to fight for. Absolutely. 39% is such a big number. And when you think about recruiting the best and the brightest, You've got to tap into that 39%. When you think about expanding your market share as an organization, you've got to tap in to that 39%. Absolutely. Well, and look at, you know, look at Dr. Rachel Levine, right? You know, if we look at the news, it's, 
she could have been passed over. She came out later, sure, but she could have been passed over by tons and tons of people simply because she came out as trans. And now she's the highest trans official in the country, right, by the new administration. So imagine all of the Dr. Rachel Levines out there that aren't being given consideration because maybe their resume doesn't match the name in which is on their legal documentation, right? So thinking, recruiting, it always sparks conversation. Like, how do you want to do recruiting? What mm -hmm. questions do you want to reshape around recruiting? References. What if they don't have references because every person they've worked with knew them in their previous life and they don't want to talk about that, right? So it's like thinking about how we can hire and recruit in the future in a safe and affirmative way. Jake, just a, a sidebar, because I've never thought about that with the references piece. What do we do instead? Do we just forego the references? Like how do we how do we as employers navigate that? I think, you know, I think reference, I mean, I used to work in recruitment, you know, just disclosure purposes. And I think references can be very helpful and very telling. Mm -hmm. So broadening our idea of what a reference can be, right? So maybe not someone that you've worked with, but someone that you might have done like grassroots organization with, or mm -hmm. someone that you went to school with for a really long time and saw you transition and saw you triumph and overcome things, right? Thinking about what we use as hard skills, mm -hmm. thinking about what we use also as soft skills and references and how we can translate our experiences into the needed skills. So maybe someone who came out at like, 35 years old, had a family, you know, heteronormative family, had to make the decision to transition. Like, that's pretty brave. And that's pretty strong. I would want that in an employee, someone yeah. who has the ability to stand up for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. So how do you use that? Like, okay, so maybe his ex-wife is, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, ex-husband is a reference in talking about that, you know, yeah. and what that was like. So just kind of thinking about what a reference can be. And sometimes, you know, just to end on this one is sometimes they don't have any job experience or references because they waited to transition to be able to get a job. So thinking, you know, what a reference can be in that way is important too. That's so helpful because, you know, it, it just shows that no matter how much time you spend, right, in the diversity and inclusion space, there's always something new to learn. So I appreciate that. That's something that I just had never thought about before. Yeah. Jake, as a therapist, I want to talk about the fact that 10% of LGBTQ teens attempt suicide at some point. This is heartbreaking, right? From your perspective, why is this? And how do we as advocates and as parents support our children as they begin to understand and come into their own identity. Yeah, that's a great one. And that statistic, I can't give you a, a specific number, but is actually much higher now. We haven't quite published data on it, but it's known within the community, it's probably double. And then 40 to 60% of those, let's say if it's 20%, 40 to 60% of that 20% are trans non-binary individuals. Mm -hmm. So that's just something I like to say is that we're reporting what we've recorded, but there's always so many individuals that aren't taken account for. Also, people that have committed or attempted suicide that haven't been out, thus we don't get them in that data. But for parents, you know, loved ones, 
it always goes into, again, open, honest communication. So mm -hmm. if you might have an inkling that your child is going through something, right, and they're a teenager, you're not going to go up to them and be like, tell me what's wrong with you, because they're going to be like, get away, you suck. It'll right. be like, put on a television show, there's a queer character and make a comment about like, oh my gosh, if I was their parent, I'd make sure that they always felt loved and they always felt safe and they always felt supported, right? Kids are listening, even if they seem like they aren't, right? They can have their AirPods in all day, but they're actually on mute and they're listening and watching everything you're saying. So the way in which a parent, a family member, an employer, right, mm -hmm. walks about in this world tells the person like the trans non-binary queer person how to interact with them so you know i have a couple of clients who talk about their employers making comments about trans people you know like Ugh, oh my god you know he she this and they're like oh it's not going to be safe for me to come out same thing with parents you know oh this show pose oh it's so gross like Ugh, like what are these kids not going to want to come out so just being mindful of the conversations that are being had in the household can save someone's life. It's so important that we create environments and the work that I do, you know, we want to create environments where people feel safe and feel like they can be themselves. And, and don't we all deserve that? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. You know, it's important to remember that people are listening. People in the workplace are listening. Your children are listening. And we have to be mindful of, of how we talk and what we say and, and how we talk about people. Because you just never know who's in earshot and, and what they're listening for. So, Jake, as we begin to wrap up, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? I hope that people hear this conversation and they want to continue it. I hope that people reach out, not necessarily to the trans people in their lives, because that can put them on the spot, but to people who can help them understand the trans people in their lives just a little bit better, right? They're never going to fully understand. They're never going to live the authentic experience, but to sort of see the world through our eyes just a little tiny bit more. And, you know, I invite people to reach out to me. You're listening to this. You now know a trans person who is welcoming conversation, right? So you can't ever say again that uh, you don't know a trans person because you do. And also not assuming just from my conversation that everything I'm saying is applicable to every trans non-binary person. It's my experience. I come from a privileged experience. I've worked most of my life with which many trans individuals have not. So it's quite a different experience. So I, I hope that people just take away conversation needs to just keep happening. Jake, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You can learn more about Jake at jakerostovsky.com. And that's J-A-K-E-R-O-S-T-O-V-S-K-Y.com. Jake, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Me too. And like I said, let's keep on having him. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you like this show, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
and leave us a rating and review as well. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. If you're looking for information on how full-service podcast production can amplify your voice and build your community, visit EarFluence.com. I'm Jackie Ferguson, and we'll see you soon on Diversity Beyond the Checkbox.